But you can turn over in your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we're back in our book of 1 Corinthians. We've been in this now. This would be the 68th sermon that we've shared together. And so we, uh, I think we ended somewhere around November last, last year, and Thanksgiving and Christmas and everything, but we're back into it now. And so we want to um, just spend a little time today introducing this chapter because it will be a significant chapter when it comes to the use of spiritual gifts in our churches today. Um, and that's why it's the practice of spiritual gifts. Prophecy over tongues is what I've entitled it today. Um, but in way of review, if you're just visiting here today in the first day, you're kind of coming in the middle of a series, so you're going to have to listen to all the other stuff before <laughs> on the church app or online and then catch up. But I, I'm going to do a real quick summary for you what we've seen in the book of 1 Corinthians so far. In chapter 1, we saw where carnal divisiveness was not removed in this church of Corinth. This was not a spiritual church. It was a fleshly church. We saw where moral discernment wasn't practiced in 1 Corinthians 5. And then we saw they had marital difficulties that weren't resolved in chapter 7. They had disagreements over lifestyles. Uh, They weren't settled in chapter 8 through 10. And they even had issues with distinctions between male and female. And they weren't honored. And that was in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And then we saw that spiritual devotion wasn't experienced in chapter 11, verses 17 to 34. And they had differences in ministry styles. And unfortunately, they weren't accepted either. And that was in basically the heading under chapter 12 through 14. And under that, they had a problem with spiritual gifts. They had several issues and Paul had to stop and remind them that if you don't have love, you don't have anything. It doesn't matter how many gifts you have. It doesn't matter how many poor people you feed. It doesn't doesn't matter how many times you come to church or pray before a meal. If you don't have love in your heart, it's irrelevant. And so what is important was when we looked at love is essential in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's known as the love chapter. And we said it's essential because without love, our communication is ineffective, our understanding is incomplete, and our giving is insufficient. All that doesn't matter if we don't have love because it is essential. And then he went on in the next couple verses in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 7, and he explained God's love. We talked about the character of God's love. We talked about the contrasts with God's love. We talked about the circumstances with which God's love controls. And then our last heading, and catches up to where we're at today, was love is exalted. And we saw that in the latter half of 1 Corinthians 13, and even the first verse of 1 Corinthians 14. 
And love is exalted over spiritual gifts because, first of all, love never fails, it says. So love is never going to go away. The love of God is part of who God is. So that love can never stop. It can never fade away. But you know what? One day you're not going to need your spiritual gifts. You're not going to need knowledge. You're not going to need prophecy because you're going to be in heaven in the presence of God. And so love is exalted. God's love is exalted over all that. And we also said it's because gifts will cease. They will stop at some point. And we looked in there where it talks about love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. Knowledge, it will pass away. And we talked about the verbs involved there where something will come and replace prophecy and something will replace knowledge. But when it comes to the gift of tongues, they will just flat out cease. The original language says that. Nothing has to come and replace them. They will just stop. And that's what we see happening in the New Testament. And so as we look at this chapter 14... Um, we're going to be looking in depth to the spiritual gift of tongues. And that's what a lot of people have been waiting for, all these 68 messages. Are you going to talk about tongues? If you're going into 1 Corinthians, are you going to talk about tongues? Yes. And the time has come. You've been faithful. You've been, you've been patient. And here we are. So we're going to start it today. We're going to introduce this chapter. But I'd just like to give you a quick little outline of uh, chapter 14 for us. I think... And this is uh, uh, from uh, Pastor MacArthur, but verses 1 to 19 is the position of the gift of tongues. The position in relationship to the other gifts. Where is it? And then in verses 20 to 25 of 1 Corinthians 14, he talks about the purpose of the gift of tongues. And we'll be looking at that. And then also the procedure of the gift of tongues. So you have a, the position of the gift of tongues and Paul points out very clearly it's secondary to prophecy. It's secondary to prophecy, and we'll be talking a little bit about that today, but next, more next week. And the purpose of the gift of tongues was always a sign. It was a sign. And then the procedure for the gift of tongues is systematic. And so I'm not going to have you stand this morning because I'm going to read the whole chapter because we're starting a new chapter, and I like to keep things in context. I don't want you to think I'm pulling anything out of context. So I want you to just patiently follow along. And this is the most important part of the sermon. Everything else I say is irrelevant. Okay, this is the Word of God, right? We're reading, so this is the most important part. So open your Bibles and follow along in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Paul writes, Pursue love and earnestly... Desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Verse 4, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. 
Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as a flute or a harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? Verse 9, so with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language... I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me, or a barbarian is the word. Verse 12, so with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues or languages more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for believers, but for believer, not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter in, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called out. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Verse 26, what then, my brothers, when you come together, each one has a ham, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation? Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, 
and each in turn, and let someone interpret. And if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Verse 36, or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached. If anyone thinks that he is a a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy. And do not forbid speaking in tongues or languages, but all things should be done decently and in order. Father, we ask you to bless the reading of your word this morning. It's so insightful to read through this whole chapter in one setting because we get the full context. And so today as we introduce it, we just pray you'd open our hearts and our minds in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, he starts right off there in verse 1, pursue love. And that's kind of left over from chapter 13, is it not? He wants the Corinthians to know that they were not pursuing love. The only thing they were interested in were the gifts, and the only gifts they were really interested in were the ones that got them in front of the other people. They were interested in the spectacular gifts. They were interested in the gifts that put them up above everyone else. And they could say, look at me, I got this gift, I am so spiritual. And they would trample over their brother or sister in Christ to get that gift. And they were seeking after the gifts. The Bible tells us that's not what we should do. We shouldn't seek spiritual gifts. The Bible, when we went over this before, but you can get the message, but the Bible says that the Spirit gives out the spiritual gifts as He wills. You get exactly the spiritual gift or gifts that God gives you. You don't get to pick and choose. It's not like a cornucopia of fruit and say, oh, I think I'll take an apple and I'll think I'll take a... No. He designates your spiritual gift. And so that's why it's very important to not be like the Corinthian church and say, well, gee, I, you know, I'm, I might have the gift of helps. I'm helping people, but I really want that gift. That guy, boy, he can speak in multiple languages. And he's able to stand up in front of people and do what he does. I want that one. See, that's, that's a wrong attitude when it comes to spiritual gifts. God created you exactly how he wanted you to be. He gifted you according to his purpose and his will. And some people are gifted for certain things, and other people are gifted for other things. Some people are gifted with exhortation. They can see something, and they can really speak truth to it and encourage that brother or sister in Christ. Other 
Christians are gifted in the area of mercy. They can sit down with someone who's hurting and listen to them and, and really be filled with mercy and compassion toward them. Some of us, frankly, don't have much mercy <laughs> in our personality, so it comes very hard to do that. That's why, that's why we're called the body of Christ, right? I remember when we used to do some biblical counseling, John Worthington and I, he's filled. John is, is just a man who anybody knows him is just very merciful. And I remember we'd sit down sometimes for hours with individuals and counseling them. And John would just be so patient. And he'd be listening. And I'd be like, okay, all right. I already see this guy's problem or this person's problem. They just need to do this, this, this. This is what the Bible says. Let's get out of here. And that was my attitude. And so I had to kind of be patient. And the person would talk and unravel their problem. And then finally... At the end of hour, hour, half, two hours, whatever. Pastor, do you have anything to say? Yeah, here's what I have to say. Here's what you're doing wrong. Here's what the Bible says. Now, if you just go do and obey it, you'll be good. Okay, let's pray. <laughs> and we were out of there. And it seemed hard. But you know what? It, it balanced out the mercy that he had. And see, that's why we're called the body of Christ. That's why we have to understand how God wants to use us, how God has drawn us together as a church, not to all be the same. How boring would that be? I've been in churches where everybody dresses the same, everybody, you know, it's, it's haircut, same haircut. It's just nuts. That's boring. That's not what God is about. God has created us all different. And so he wants the Corinthians to know, stop pursuing these gifts, but you should desire gifts. You should want to know what your spiritual giftedness is. And there's some helps that you can get, you know, little spiritual gifts tests that you can take, but they're not for sure. It just kind of pushes you in the right direction, you know. And, and if you're interested in that, we can get those to you. But you got to be careful with those because some people take them like they're taking an exam. And then at the end, it says, oh, they're gifted with the gift of helps and mercy, but they don't have prophecy or they don't have exhortation. And that's what they wanted. And so they walk away from the, the test depressed. Well, I really wanted that other gift. Well, they're doing exactly what the church of Corinth was doing. And that's the wrong attitude. We should celebrate the way God has gifted us and how he has created us to do what he calls us to do. But he starts off here, pursue love, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And so we're going to be looking more into this chapter uh, next week. But the one thing I want you to understand is whenever it mentions in this chapter, in the, in the book, when it, when it talks about the gift of tongues, okay, plural. It's always talking about a language. And you notice, as we read through the chapter there, there were some places where it wasn't plural. Like in verse 2, for one who speaks in a tongue. Hmm, wonder why that's singular. But in other areas, down in verse 5, I want you, to, I want you all to speak in tongues. That's plural. What's the difference? Well, a lot of commentators believe that one what was happening in the Corinthian church was they took the, the biblical God-given 
gift of languages, tongues, and that's what that word means. It always means language. It doesn't mean anything else but language. So if you have a friend or a relative that says they have the gift of tongues, simple question, what language do you speak? What language is it? More than not, they'll say, well, no, it's a prayer language. Wrong answer. No prayer language in the Bible. Oh, it's, it's, it's the language of angels. Wrong answer. Every time an angel spoke to someone in the Bible, they understood him. So this word literally means language. It's always a known language. Well, what was the gift? What was it about? The gift of tongues was the ability to speak in a foreign language even though you didn't know the language. Pretty amazing. Some of you speak Spanish fluently. I don't speak Spanish, you know, taco, burrito maybe, but that's about it. (laughs) I don't speak a lot of Spanish. Um, Wouldn't it be weird if after the service one of you came up to me and started speaking in Spanish and I started speaking in Spanish back to you totally fluently? You would go, whoa, what, what do you, what do you... Are you, uh, you got some app or something you're listening to, Pastor? That's, that's really good Spanish. And I know you don't speak Spanish. See, that would be the gifting of this gift. And in the New Testament, if you turn over to the, the book of Acts, we'll see how it was used. In Acts chapter 2, it says when the day, verse 1, Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven. Now notice there's some imagery here, a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It doesn't mean, you know, they were all had their hair blown back. It was like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house in which they were sitting. Verse 3, and divided tongues as of fire. It doesn't mean literal fire, but it gave the image of that, appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And in verse 4, and they were all filled or controlled with the Holy Spirit. And it says, they began to speak in other tongues. The word there is languages. They began to speak in languages. Other simply means they didn't know it. It wasn't their native language. As the Spirit gave them utterance. So it wasn't them working themselves into a frenzy speaking this this language, it was the Spirit of God just came upon them, and it was his gift, and so he used it in this way. Verse 5, and they were, and there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every, look, nation under God. Why do you think that's important? It'd be like living in the Bay Area and only speaking one language. You can go to some communities, and they can't communicate to you, right? Because they, they have their own language. And and here we have a multiplicity of languages represented. Same thing here. There was people from every nation there. And it says, verse 6, And at the sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered. All these nations, these people from different backgrounds and different languages, they they were confused because each one was hearing these people speak their own language. And they were amazed, it says, and they were astonished. And they even asked a simple question. And this even dials down more that it was an actual language. Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Aren't these these simple Galilean people? They're not educated. They don't, there's no way they could speak all these different kinds of languages. 
verse 8. And how is it that we hear, that's the miracle, right? How are we hearing each one of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Serene and the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds that spoke a whole lot of different dialects and languages. What do they hear? We hear them telling in our own language, our own tongue, what? The mighty works of God. So God used this gift in the New Testament to bridge the language gap when he needed to, to speak the mighty works of God. In verse 12, look at the result, and they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others said, oh, these Galileans, they got to be drunk. There's something wrong with them. So as we come back to Corinthians, that, that legitimate gift that was utilized in Acts that a lot of people believe ceased because it was given as a sign to legitimize the New Testament disciples. Remember, Jesus was here. He did miracles, right? So what did people do? They followed Jesus. Jesus goes to the cross, he dies, he's raised again, he goes to heaven. But his disciples are still here. So, obviously, God wants people to follow the disciples because they're following Christ. Christ is no longer here, so what does God do? God gives the disciples the same kind of miraculous signs and wonder gifts that Christ had. So that when people heard the disciples speak or when people saw the disciples raise the dead or give sight to the blind or heal the lame, they said, wow, didn't Jesus do the same thing? And they saw the connection. And so when they would talk about Christ and they would talk about the gospel and their need for people to turn to Christ, they wouldn't think, oh, these guys are just trying to do their only little sideshow here on their own. No, it was connected directly to who Christ is was and what he did. Unfortunately, in the church of Corinth, what happened, they took the real gift of tongues, of languages, that was legitimate, and they substituted it. Remember what we said about the the church of Corinth? You know, the, the goal of a church is what? Is to Christianize the area around them, I would hope. You know, we were interested in evangelism. You know, we want to reach our loved ones. We want to reach our coworkers with the gospel. So hopefully if Christ plants a church here in Redwood City or in San Francisco, the goal is, is that Christ would go out, right? The gospel would go out from that church. Well, just the opposite began to happen in the church of Corinth. They started well. Paul started the church. I mean, he mentored them and everything. But what happened was they were in this pagan society, surrounded by the occult and by false pagan gods and people who were immoral. And what did they do? They began to compromise. And they began to kind of go back into their own background as pagans, and they began to embrace some of these things that were going on in their society. And so their society had more negative influence on their church than the church having a positive influence on their society. And so they began to speak with these ecstatic languages, sounds. They were 
They weren't languages at all. They were just babble. It, it wasn't a legitimate language they were saying. And if you think that it's odd, it's not, because it was really an infiltration of Corinth into this church. And we've seen it. In verse chapters 1 to 4, we saw that they were emphasizing human philosophy. That began to have an emphasis on the church. Uh, chapter 3, we saw where they had kind of a hero uh, worship cult. You know, who, who's more important? Paul, Paul, they were, they were following individuals. Or chapters 5 and 6, they were involved in terrible, gross sexual immorality that should have no place in a church. In chapter 6, um, we also saw that they were suing one another in court as Christians. Chapter 7, they had misevaluated their home and their marital relationships. Chapters 8 through 10, they, they confused all these pagan feasts and idolatry and things offered to idols. They, they didn't know what to do with all that. Chapter 11, they had relinquished the proper place of women in the church. Chapter 12, we saw where they had a misunderstanding of the whole dimensions of spiritual gifts. And the one thing, good thing that they had, love, they lost a hold of it. It fell by the wayside in relationship to all these gifts that they were after. They weren't pursuing God's love. And so you saw a negative impact on the church And with all that negative impact and that paganism came some religious practices that the pagans used to practice. With all the ecstasies and eroticisms and sensualities, the Corinthians accepted it all. And it created this confusion between truth and error. I'm sure there were some good Christians in the church. There was. But for the most part, they had compromised And they had the involvement of tongues in paganism. And that's what happened even before the church was around. In the the Roman Greco world, they would have gods, pagan gods. And when they would worship these pagan gods, the, the priests and the priestesses of this pagan religion would encourage their followers to just let go. You have to get out of yourself. Just just let the spirits fill you. And that's what went on continually in their worship. And they would almost go into a, a, historians say, kind of an unconscious state where all kinds of weird things would happen. They believed that they were in this ecstatic trance. Some of them said they actually left their body. They ascended into space. They connected up to whatever deity that they were worshiping, the false god. And they would begin to commune with that deity. And when they began to commune with that deity, some of them began to speak, they said, the language of the gods. It was non-intelligible gibberish. And it was a very common practice in the pagan culture of this day. In 1 Corinthians, we refer to the, the gift here of, speak, of tongues. It wasn't invented by 
Bible writers. Glossolalia comes from two Greek words, which means to speak in other languages, basically. It doesn't mean to just speak in gibberish. I don't know if you've ever been around someone in the charismatic movement who spoke in tongues, but more than not, it's gibberish. They're not speaking in any language at all. And the Greek world had the same kind of religious experience, but they would be more sensual. It's the word eros, desire for the sensual, the desire for the erotic and ecstasy and all that. And, and it, was, it placed emphasis on experience and feeling. They weren't concerned about truth. They just wanted to get that next spiritual high. And their religion in the pagan world was designed to be felt when people would go and worship and, boy, they would walk away. Wow, wow, what a feeling. See, and that, that mentality has crept into our modern-day church. I've heard people after church services here walk out of the building. I hear them talking to their friend, and they'll say, boy, I just felt the presence of God this morning. What does that mean? What does that mean? We have to be careful. Because the very fact that believers are dwelling here proves the fact that God is present. We don't need a feeling to prove that. But see, the church today has become very sensual, very emotional. All you have to do is turn on the TV and watch some of these worship services in some of the modern-day churches. And what is it about? It's all about the music. It's all about the smoke and the lights and people swaying with their hands up. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it's kind of scary, to be honest with you. What are you doing? Well, they're worshiping, they say. But what are they worshiping? So this erotic, sensual, sexual, ecstatic religion was rolled into one big kind of ball of gibberish in the Corinthian church. And if you've done a study in history, you've heard things, if you've ever done a reading about the Babylon mystery religions, okay, um, this was part of their society. And this is what they did. And what's happening, unfortunately, today in the modern-day charismatic movement is pretty much a Duplication of what happened here. When you go to most charismatic churches in their worship service, either during the service or afterwards, they will have a time where believers come and are encouraged to speak in what they say is tongues. And so you have all these people gathered, usually at the altar, and, and they tell them, just kind of relax your tongue, and, and God will give you the gift, and just start talking like a baby. Just talk, blah, 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 and then God will take over, your, and then that's your prayer language. There's no biblical support for that whatsoever, and that's what we're going to find out as we go through this. This is not meant to be 
a sermon that judges charismatics. That's not what I'm saying. There are brothers and sisters in Christ. With the exception of some of maybe the people we saw on the screen a little earlier that are in that real extreme. But for the most part, just because you believe the gifts still are around today, you're, you're a non-cessationist. You don't believe that they ceased with the, the New Testament. That doesn't mean you're not a Christian. And just because you think they ceased, it doesn't mean you're on the right side either. Now, I would wholeheartedly endorse a cessationist view of the gifts. They did cease with the New Testament, and we've had messages that have gone over that. But what we need to be reminded of is that we're not called to come here on a Sunday morning just for a feeling, just to walk out, wow, I just feel so good now. If that's why you're coming to church, you're coming for the wrong reason. The reason you should be coming to church, and that's what he he says here, pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially what? That you may prophesy that you may be taught, that you may hear with understanding biblical truth. That's the role of the church. We're not here to entertain you. We're not here to balance your checkbook. We're not even here to make your marriage happy, to be honest. Now, we do counseling and things like that, but that's not our, our, our first and foremost Role. Our first and foremost role as a Bible-believing church is to take the Word of God and to explain it and to apply it to our lives and to teach you how to study it, how to know what it says, and to apply it to your life. Because all those other things will take care of themselves if you simply just apply the principles of Scripture. But what happens is people don't want to take the time to understand the Bible. So they want to focus on, you know, hey, five, five ways you can have a happy marriage. And they'll pull a verse out here, and they'll pull a verse out there, and they'll pull a verse out there, and that's it. Five ways that you can have a prosperous bank account. And they'll go down that road. And topic after topic after topic. But there's no systematic study of the Word of God. See, that's very da- it'd be very dangerous for me to be able to do that with you. I guarantee you, after about six weeks, you say, isn't he going to talk about anything else? Because like all of you, I have a certain interest when it comes to the Bible, right? There's certain things that jump out to me. There's certain things that speak to my heart. So you know what? I'm just going to focus on those things. And so what we do as a church, we like to teach through books of the Bible. From the beginning, first word, to the last chapter, the last word. And make the meaning plain. So that everybody understands it. I don't have a corner on God's truth. You have the same Holy Spirit I do. Maybe because of my profession, I have a little more time to spend doing this, but any of you could do exactly what I'm doing as far as understanding this if you applied yourself to it. And so we need to understand that. And I think that, unfortunately, in a lot of churches today, there's an ignorance of the true work of the Holy Spirit There's no good Bible teaching, and there's an absence of really anything significant going on in the church. So what do people look for? If that's not going to, you know, the church is not really meeting my needs. So then what does the churches do? The churches try to entertain. So they'll they'll entertain people and tell them what they want to hear to keep them come back week after week after week. 
And when you start going down that road, it's a, it's, it's a never-ending battle. And eventually you end up compromising to keep the people in the pews. Because it's got to be bigger and better next week. If, it, if it's not, they may not come back. So let's do something else. I mean, and if you, if you don't believe me, look on the internet at some of the things churches are doing. I've seen pastors um, ride a zip line into the pulpit on a Sunday morning wearing a cape. I've seen pastors with Ferraris and Lamborghinis on their, on their platform talking about prosperity. I know of one pastor who, him and his wife, for a week, he was talking on marriage, he was talking about um, having relationships in marriage. I'll say it for some of the kids here. Him and his wife slept in their bed on the, tr- on the roof of the church for a week. And he preached his sermons from there and studies and everything. And he challenged his, his um, congregation, those who were married, to have more of this. <laughs> it, it, was, it was really weird. But this is what people were doing. And so when you come to a church where somebody stands up and opens up a Bible and and teaches for 45 minutes and exegetes the text, if you're conditioned to a 10-minute sermon with lights and fog and people flying in from space and everything else, you're going to go, how boring, how boring. But this is what we need. We need to be fed the Word of God. We need to be taught the Word of God. And unfortunately, most churches have developed a sensual, feeling-oriented, experiential, erotic kind of, of approach to Christianity. And then they label it as the work of the Holy Spirit. I believe it's a counterfeit. It's a counterfeit of Satan. There's one individual, Sir Robert Anderson, he wrote a book, Spiritual Manifestations and the Gift of Tongues. And uh, he, he wrote this pamphlet as a former leader of the Pentecostal movement in India. So he kind of got out of this. But here's what he said when he was in this. He said, finally, I went to the mission at 328 uh, 63rd Street uh, in Chicago, asking only one question. Why do I not receive the baptism? What is the matter with me? The good friends prayed with me and said that nothing was wrong. I only needed to wait. Praise the Lord, they were right. For the first time, I knelt at the altar on Sunday afternoon, March 17th. The power began to seize me, and I laughed all through the following communion service. In the evening, about 11 p.m., I knelt with a few of my friends praying for me. One of the elders placed his hands on my head for a short time, several times during the afternoon and evening. After some time waiting, I began to laugh. Or rather, my body was used to laugh with increasing power. That's a little scary. Something's using your body? Until I was flat on my back, laughing at the top of my voice for over a half an hour. Now, I've heard some funny jokes, but, you know, that, that, that would have to be really funny for me to... <laughs> Just crack up for a half an hour. He says, On rising, I found that I was drunk on the new wine. 
acting just like a drunken man in many ways and full of joy. On kneeling to meet the Lord again, I was suddenly seized with an irresistible power of beseechings, with groanings that could not be uttered, asking the Lord to have mercy on me, a sinner, and telling him that I wanted to go all the way with him. The power of this praying was too great for me to endure. And suddenly my eyes opened to see one of the elders who had been standing a few feet distant fall as though he had been struck. I was relieved and in a few seconds was straight up in the air shouting glory at the top of my voice. Again kneeling, my eyes grew dark and I was rolled over onto the floor, lying there for some time nearly unconscious. Then coming to and kneeling, I felt my jaws and my mouth begin to be worked by a strange force. In a few seconds, some baby gibberish was uttered. Then a few words in Chinese that I understood. And then several sentences in a strange tongue. This turned into singing. And I did not again speak in tongues until Wednesday, three days later. Now, I'm sorry, but I do not think that was the Holy Spirit. That's bizarre. That's bizarre. And there's all these kinds of experiences that are going on. I know a, a, a personal friend who was a pastor in uh, the Vineyard Movement, and he told me that one day at a prayer meeting, they were all praying, just the church was praying on a Wednesday night or whatever, and a lady apparently walked into the building and walked down the main aisle and collapsed on the floor. And they didn't know what was going on. She was acting kind of weird. So they began to pray for her. And as they prayed for her, her body levitated off the floor. And this pastor was appalled when his congregation began to praise God, saying, wow, this is a work of the Spirit. And God had given him the discernment to say, this is not the work of, of the Holy Spirit. It's definitely the work of a spirit, but it, it's not the work of the Holy Spirit. And yet his congregation was praising this event. He finally realized, well, I, I, I'm in the wrong church. I am in the wrong church. We put too much emphasis on this kind of behavior. All kinds of feelings, all kinds of emotion that are apprehended by the senses rather than the mind. And these kinds of experiences were common to these pagan religions. They did it all the time. It was commonplace to go into a pagan temple and see people falling down and speaking in weird gibberish. As far back as Plato, who, by the way, lived from 429 to 347 B.C., before Christ... He wrote in his dialogues, page after page, describing pagan ecstasies of speech. Long before Christ or the Holy Spirit was present in that place. This was nothing that belonged to biblical Christianity. The true gift of languages in Christianity was only used when someone who spoke the language was present in order that it might be a sign that God was there, and that he was speaking to God's people. It'd be like if half of the congregation here today spoke German. 
Okay, I don't speak German. Inga, I think, speaks German. Maybe Paul speaks some German. I don't speak German. But if God gave me the gift of tongues, biblically, I would stand up here and I'd begin to preach in German. And the Germans who would be here, who understood German, they would be able to understand the gospel. And also, we have the gift of interpretation, right? We're going to be talking about that. Well, the other people that don't speak German, guess what? If I'm speaking to half the congregation in German, what are you supposed to do? Sit there and twiddle your thumbs? No, that's why you have an interpreter. So biblically, if you wanted to be very, very biblical, in the New Testament, the way this gift was used is someone would have a a language that was supernaturally given to them, and they'd be able to speak to a crowd of people. But you know what? If half the crowd didn't speak that that language, someone else would interpret for the, the people that didn't. That's how it was to work. You don't see that in the modern-day charismatic movement. You see hundreds of people gathered together in one room, and they're all running their tongues. Nobody's listening. Nobody's hearing anything. Doesn't make any sense. That was never intended to be that way. So this pagan paganism infiltrated the church. And I really believe it's a counterfeit from Satan himself. I mean, Satan always tries to counterfeit everything, right? I mean, whether it's music, whether, whether it's whatever. I mean, he, he does. And that's why the apostle John wrote in 1 John 4.1, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. You may have had an experience. Okay, I can't argue with that. But I can definitely test what you're saying according to the word of God. Someone tells me, yeah, I died and went to heaven. I'm going to test that according to the truth of, of God's word. And when their little story doesn't add up to what God says about heaven, whose word am I going to take? Well, I'm going to take God's every time. So I don't know if it was the pizza they ate before or whatever, but the experience they had doesn't line up with God, so their experience is wrong. It's a counterfeit. It's easy to fall prey to the phony, especially nowadays, because whenever you speak like this, you're considered being judgmental. You're considered, you know, uh, legalistic. No, I just want to be true to the text. I want to be true to what the Bible says. I'm not here to mock charismatics. I'm not here to put them down. There are brothers and sisters in Christ, like I said before. I think they have a misunderstanding of what they're doing with some of their gifts, clearly. And it's easy to fall prey to these counterfeits. Remember what Satan was called in Scripture, Paul, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. He's called the God of this world, who's blinded the minds of unbelievers. Or in Ephesians 2, he's called the prince of the power of the air, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says that he's transformed into an angel of light. So it's very easy to fall into a situation where you think, wow, okay, man, I had this experience. It must be from God. No, not necessarily. Not necessarily at all. Satan wants to counterfeit reality and trick the church into accepting that which is phony. That's what he's in the business of doing. And unfortunately, the church has fallen for it. 
head over heels. And the counterfeit practices of heathenism really has engulfed the church. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 32, we read it. What did he say? The spirits of the prophets are what? Are subject to the prophets. What's he saying? You don't get to come in here and say, oh, last night, God told me this. New revelation. (laughs) That Jesus isn't really God. And that I'm God. If I said that, you would say, well, wait a minute. Chapter verse, pal, right? Why? Because we're a Bible-believing church. People say that on, on TV all the time. And people amen it because they're biblically ignorant. They don't understand. They don't study the Word of God. Paul is basically telling us, you're never told in Scripture to give up your spirit and lose control of yourself. And yet, that's exactly what these people are doing. That's exactly what they're encouraged to do. At the end of the chapter, Paul says, you know what? Let all things be done decently and in order. When you walk into a church service, there should be order. Now, don't confuse that with boring Okay, I don't want a church service that's boring. But I definitely don't want a church service that's filled with a bunch of crazy people running around the service and raising their hands and speaking gibberish, pushing each other over. and It's just crazy. Some of the things that go on out there in the name of the work of the Spirit. That's why he says in verse 26, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a ham, each one has a lesson, each one has a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation? In other words, you know, churches have even compromised to the degree where they don't have a sermon anymore. They have a conversation. So the person teaching invites comments, and so you have this thing going on between the congregation and the, the teacher. Now, there's a time and a place for that. I don't believe it's in a sermon on Sunday morning. And sometimes, to be honest with you, it gets so crazy that you don't know whether you're listening to the congregation or the person teaching. I mean, I've seen services where the pastor has to stop because somebody in their church has a word from the Lord. And they just stand up and they just start talking. And it goes on for five, ten minutes. I mean, I'm sorry, but you know what? As a shepherd, I'm called to guard this pulpit. I'm called to guard what you hear here on a Sunday morning. It doesn't matter if someone's speaking or a song we're singing. That's what we're called to do as elders, is protect and guard the flock of God. And so we're not going to buy into all that. So these worship services in Corinth were just filled with paganism. They were filled with paganism. I mean, people apparently were standing up and they were cursing Jesus. 
Because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, we went through this, no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus a curse. Why would he say that to a church unless someone is standing up saying, hey, I got a new word. <laughs> Jesus is accursed. Well, this worship was totally frenzy. It was a confusion madhouse. And we have to stop and we have to say, you know what? We're not going down that road. So we want to understand what Paul is saying when he says, I earnestly desire that you all speak with languages. And I would challenge you to go through and you circle where the word tongue is singular and where it is plural. And for the most part, you can clearly see when he's talking about the counterfeit one and when he's talking about the biblical use of languages or tongues. Because there's multiple languages, would you agree? There's many languages in the world. But there's only one kind of gibberish. You don't have different kinds of gibberish. If someone comes up and goes, ba 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 and somebody else goes, boo 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 it's, it's, it's gibberish. It's, it's an un, the King James says what? An unknown tongue. Unknown is not there in the original. It's not there. And so when you apply that to your interpretation of 1 Corinthians 14, it makes all the difference in the world. Because what Paul's doing is pointing out the false use, the, the imitation, the, the, the one that Satan put in them. And then they labeled it as the gift of tongues. But it had nothing to do with languages whatsoever. Next week, we'll be actually going through the position of the gift of tongues and why it is so much more less down the ladder than the gift of prophecy. Why is prophecy so important? Bottom line, it's because prophecy builds you up. If I come here and I speak to you in language that you can understand and I exegete the word of God, hopefully you walk out of here built up in your faith. If I got up here and just spoke in tongues in some gibberish for 30 minutes and then you went home, I don't think that's going to do much for you. You're not going to be able to understand what I'm saying. And so we'll be looking into that next, next week.